between stands of young maize. "'If you say so, sir,' said Willikins. Vimes noted the hint of diplomacy. "'You don't think so?' he said. "'Come on, you can speak your mind.' "'Well, sir, those dwarfs want to get there fast, do you think?' said Willikins. "'I expect so. I don't think they want to hang around. So?' "'So I'm just puzzled that you think they'll be using the road, sir. "'They could use broomsticks, couldn't they?' "'I suppose so,' Vimes conceded. "'But the Arch-Chancellor would have told me if they'd done that, surely. "'Begging your pardon, sir, but what business would it be of his? "'They wouldn't have to bother the gentleman at the university. "'Everyone knows the best broomsticks are made by the dwarfs up at Copperhead.' "'The coach rolled on. "'After a while, Vimes inquired, in the voice of one who has been thinking deeply. "'They'd have to travel at night, though. They'd be spotted otherwise.' "'Very true, sir,' said Willikins, staring ahead. There was more thoughtful silence. "'Do you think this thing could jump fences?' said Vimes. "'I'm game to give it a try, sir,' said Willikins. "'I think the wizards put some thought into all this.' "'And how fast do you think it could go, for the sake of argument?' said Vimes. "'Dunno, sir.' but I've got a feeling it might be pretty fast. A hundred miles in an hour, maybe? You really think so? That means we could be halfway there in a couple of hours. Well, you did say you wanted to get there fast, sir, said Willikins. This time the silence went on longer before Vimes said, All right, stop somewhere. I want to make sure that everyone knows what we're going to do. Happy to do that, sir, said Willikins. It'll give me a chance to tie my hat on. What Vimes remembered most of all about that journey, and there was so much of it he wanted to forget, was the silence and the softness. Oh, he could feel the wind in his face, but it was only a breeze, even when the ground was a flat green blur. The air was shaping itself around them. When Vimes experimentally held up a piece of paper a foot above his head, it blew away in an instant. The corn exploded, too. As the coach approached, the green shoots grew out of the ground as if dragged, and then burst like fireworks. The corn belt was giving way to cattle country, when Willikins said, "'You know, sir, this thing steers itself. Watch!' He lowered the reins as a patch of woodland approached. The scream had hardly formed in Vimes's throat before the coach curved around the woodland and then swung delicately back onto its original course. "'Don't do that again, please,' said Vimes. "'All right, sir, but it's steering itself. I don't think I could make it run into anything.' "'Don't try,' Vimes said quickly. "'and I swear I saw a cow explode back there. "'Keep us away from towns and people, will you?' "'Behind the coach, turnips and rocks leapt into the air "'and bounced away in the opposite direction. "'Vimes hoped they wouldn't get into trouble about that. "'But as it happened, it was all blamed on people from another world, "'so that was all right. "'The other thing that Vimes noticed was the landscape ahead was strangely bluish, "'while behind them it had a relatively red tint. "'He didn't like to point this out, though, in case it sounded strange.' They had to stop twice to get directions, and were twenty miles from Coombe Valley at half-past five. There was a coaching inn. They sat out in its yard. No one spoke much. Apart from the speed-hungry Willikins, the only people not shaken by the journey were Sybil and young Sam, who seemed quite happy, and Detritus, who had watched the world skim past with every sign of enjoyment. Brick was still face down on the coach roof, holding tight. Ten hours,' said Fred Colon, "'and that included lunch and stopping to be sick.' They can't believe it. I don't think people are supposed to go this fast, Nobby moaned. I think my brain's still back home. Well, if we're going to have to wait for it to catch up, Nobby, I'll bear house here, shall I? said Fred. Nerves were frayed, brains were jogging behind, 
This is why I don't like magic, thought Vimes. But we're here, and it's amazing how the inn's beer helped recovery. We might even be able to have a quick look at Coombe Valley before it gets dark, he ventured, to General Groaning. No, Sam, everyone needs a meal and a rest, said Sybil. Let's go into town like proper people, nice and slowly, and everyone will be fresh for tomorrow. Lady Sybil is right, Commander, said Bashfulson. I wouldn't advise going up to the valley at night, even at this time of year. It's so easy to get lost. In a valley, said Vimes. Oh, yes, sir, Cheery chimed in. You'll see why, sir, and mostly if you get lost you die. On the sedate journey into town, and because it was six o'clock, Vimes read Where's My Cow to young Sam. In fact, it became a communal effort. Cheery obliged by handling the chicken noises, an area in which Vimes felt he was somewhat lacking, and detritus delivered a hug that rattled the windows. Greg Bashfulson, against all expectation, managed a very passable pig. To young Sam, watching with eyes like saucers, it was indeed the show of the year. Bunty was surprised to see them so soon, but ladies who organise are seldom thrown by guests arriving unexpectedly early. It turned out Bunty was Berenice Wainsbury, nay Mousefather, which must have come as a relief, with a daughter who was married and lived just outside Querm, and a son who'd had to go to 4X in a hurry over a complete misunderstanding, but was now into sheep in a big way, and she hoped Sybil, and of course his grace, would be able to stay until Saturday, because she'd invited simply everybody, and wasn't young Sam simply adorable, and so on right up to, "'And we've cleaned out one of the stables for your trolls,' said with a happy smile. Before Sybil or Vimes could say a word, Detritus had removed his helmet and bowed. "'Thank you very much, missus,' he said. "'You know, sometimes people forget to clean them out first. It's them little touches that mean a lot.' "'Why, thank you,' said Bunty. "'How charming! I've uh, never seen a troll wearing clothing before.' "'I can take them off if you like,' said Detritus. At which point Sybil took Bunty gently by the arm and said, "'Let me introduce you to everybody else.' Mr. Wainsbury, the magistrate, wasn't the venal pocket-liner Vimes had expected. He was thin, tall, and didn't say a great deal, and spent his time at home in a study filled with law-books, pipes, and fishing-tackle. He dispensed justice in the mornings, fished during the afternoon, and charitably forgave Vimes for his total lack of interest in dry flies. The local town of Hamon Coombe made a good living off the river. When the Coombe hit the plains, it widened and slowed, and was more full of fish than a tin of sardines. Marshes spread out on either side, too, with deep and hidden lakes that were the home and feeding ground of innumerable birds. Oh, and there were the skulls, too. "'I am the coroner as well,' he told Vimes as he unlocked a cupboard in his desk. "'We get a few bones washed down here every spring. Mostly tourists, of course. They really will not take advice, alas. But sometimes we get things that are of more historical interest.' He put a dwarf skull on the leather desktop. "'About a hundred years old,' he said, "'from the last big battle a hundred years ago. "'We get the occasional piece of armour, too. "'We put it all in the charnel house, "'and occasionally the dwarfs or the twalls "'come with a cart to sort through it and carry it away. "'They take it very seriously.' "'Any treasure?' said Vimes. "'Ha! Not that I get told about, "'but I'd hear about it if there was anything big.' "'The magistrate sighed. "'Every year people come to search for it. "'Sometimes they are lucky. "'They find gold?' No, but they get back alive. The others, they wash up out of the caves in the fullness of time. He selected a pipe from a rack on his desk and began to fill it. I'm amazed that anyone feels it necessary to take weapons up the valley. It'll kill you on a whim. 
Will you take one of my lads, Commander? I have my own guide, said Vimes, and then added, But thank you. Mr. Wainsbury puffed his pipe. As you wish, of course, he said. I shall watch the river in any case. Angua and Sally had been put in the same bedroom. Angua tried to feel good about that. The woman wasn't to know. Anyway, it was nice to get between clean sheets, even if the room had a slightly musty smell. More must, less vampire, she thought. Look on the bright side. In the darkness she opened one eye. Someone had moved silently across the room. They'd made no noise, but nevertheless their passage had stirred the air and changed the texture of the subtle night sounds. They were at the window now. It was bolted shut, and a faint noise was probably the bolt being slipped back. It was easy to tell when the window itself was opened, new scents flooded in. There was a creak that possibly only a werewolf would have heard, followed by a sudden rustling of many leathery wings. Little leathery wings. Angua shut her eye again. The little minx. Maybe Sally just didn't care any more. No point in trying to follow her, though. She debated the wisdom of shutting the window and bolting the door, just to see what excuses Sally came up with, but dismissed it. No good telling Mr. Vimes yet, either. What could she prove? It'd all be put down to the werewolf-vampire thing. And now Coombe Valley stretched away ahead of Vimes, and he could see why he hadn't made plans. You couldn't make plans for Coombe Valley. It'd laugh at them. It would push them away like it pushed away roads. Of course, you're seeing it at its best at this time of year, said Cherry. By best, you mean, Vimes prompted. Well, it's not actually trying to murder us, sir, and there's the birds. And when the sun's right, you get some wonderful rainbows. There were lots of birds. Insects bred like mad in the wide, shallow pools and dams that littered the floor of the valley in late spring. Most of them would be dry by late summer, but for now Coombe Valley was a smorgasbord of things that went bzzz and the birds had come up from the plains to feast on all of it. Vimes wasn't good at birds, but they mostly looked like swallows, millions of them. There were nests on the nearest cliff, a good half-mile away, and Vimes could hear the chattering from here. And where trees and rocks had piled up in dams, saplings and green plants had sprouted. Below the narrow track the party had taken, water gushed from half a dozen caves and joined together for one wild waterfall into the plain. It's all so... so alive, said Angua. I was expecting just barren rock. That's what it like up at the battle place, said Detritus, spray glistening on his skin. My dad took me up there when we were coming to the city. He showed me this kind of rocky place, hit me on the head and said, remember. Remember what? said Sally. He didn't say, so I just, you know, generally remembered. I didn't expect this, Vimes thought. It's so chaotic. Oh, well, let's get clear of the cliff wall at least. All these bloody great boulders must have got here from somewhere. I can smell smoke, Angua announced after a while, as they made their way unsteadily across the debris-strewn track. Campfires from up the valley, said Cheery. Early arrivals, I expect. You mean people queue up for a place in the battle, said Vimes. Watch this boulder at Slippery. Oh, yes. The fighting doesn't start until Coombe Valley Day. That's tomorrow. Damn, I lost track. Will it affect us down here? Bashfulson coughed politely. I don't think so, Commander. This area's too dangerous to fight in. Well, yes, I can see it would be terrible if anyone got hurt, said Vimes, climbing over a long heap of rotting timber. That would spoil the day for everyone. Historical recreation, he thought glumly, as they picked their way across, under, over, or through the boulders and insect-buzzing heaps of splintered timber with streamlets running everywhere. 
Only we do it with people dressing up and running around with blunt weapons, and people selling hot dogs, and the girls all miserable because they can only dress up as wenches, wenching being the only job available to women in the olden days. But the dwarfs and the trolls, they fight it again for real. Like perhaps if they fight it enough times they'll get it right. Now there was a hole in the track in front of him, half blocked with the winter's debris, but still managing to swallow a whole streamlet. It poured, foaming into the depths. There was a booming noise far below. When he knelt down and touched the water, it was so cold it stung. "'Yes, watch out for sinkholes, Commander,' said Bashelson. "'This is limestone. Water wears it away quite quickly. We'll probably see some much bigger ones. Often they're hidden by rotting debris. Watch where you tread. Don't they get blocked up?' "'Oh, yes, sir. You've seen the size of the rocks that roll down here. It must be like a giant game of billiards.' "'Something like that, I expect,' said Bashfulson carefully. After ten minutes, Vimes sat down on a log, pulled off his helmet, took out a big red handkerchief, and wiped his forehead. "'It's getting hotter,' he said, "'and everywhere in his bloody place looks the same. Ow!' He slapped at his wrist. "'The midges can be a bit extreme, sir,' Cheery volunteered. "'It's said that when they bite extra hard there's a storm coming.' They both looked up at the mountains. There was a yellow haze at the far end of the valley, and clouds between the peaks. "'Oh, good,' said Vimes, "'because it feels like that bite went to the bone.' "'I wouldn't worry too much, Commander,' said Cheery. "'The big Coombe Valley storm was a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence.' "'It certainly was a lifetime if you were caught in it,' said Vimes. "'This damn place is getting to me. I don't mind admitting it.' By now the rest of the squad had caught up. Sally and Detritus were visibly suffering from the heat. The vampire sat down in the shade of a big rock without saying anything— Brick lay down by the icy stream and stuck his head in it. "'I'm afraid I'm not much help here, sir,' said Angua. "'I can smell dwarf, but that's about it. There's just too much damn water everywhere.' "'Maybe we won't need your nose,' said Vimes. He unslung the tube that contained Sybil's sketch, unrolled the drawing, and pinned the ends together. "'Give me hand with this, will you, Cherry?' he said. "'Everyone else get some rest, and don't laugh.' He lowered the circlet of mountains over his head. There was a cough from Angua, which he pretended to ignore. "'Okay,' said Vimes, turning the stiff paper to get the mountains lined up just above their pencilled outlines. "'That's Copperhead over there, and Corrie Celeste over there, and they line up pretty well against the drawing. We're practically on top of it already.' "'Not really, Commander,' said Bashfulson behind him. "'They're both almost two hundred miles away. They'd look pretty much the same from anywhere in this part of the valley. You need to look at the nearer peaks.' Vimes turned. "'Okay, what's that one that looks really steep on the left-hand side?' "'That is the king, sir,' said Cheery. "'He's about ten miles away.' "'Really? It looks closer.' Vimes found the mountain on the drawing. "'And that small one over there,' he said, "'the one with two peaks.' "'I don't know the name, sir, but I can see the one you mean.' "'They're too small and too close together,' Vimes muttered. "'Then walk toward them, sir. Mind where you're putting your feet. Only tread on bare rock. Keep off piles of debris.' The grag is right. It could be over an old sinkhole, and you might drop right through. Okay. About halfway between them is that funny-shaped little outcrop. I'll head directly for it. You watch where I'm putting my feet to, will you? Trying to keep the paper level, stumbling on rocks, splashing through icy rivulets, Vimes walked the lonesome valley. Damn and blast! Sir? Vimes peered over the top of his ring of paper. I've lost the king. That damn great ridge of boulders is in the way. Hold on. I can see that mountain with the chunk taken out of it. It looked so simple. 
It would have been simple if Coombe Valley had been flat and not littered with rubbish like the ten-pin bowling alley of the gods. In some places they had to backtrack because of a wall of tangled, stinking, gnat-infested timber blocked away. Or the barrier was a wall of rocks the length of a street, or a wide, mist-filled, thundering cauldron of white water that elsewhere would have a name like the Devil's Cauldron, but here was nameless because this was Coombe Valley, and for Coombe Valley there just weren't enough devils and they didn't have enough cauldrons. And the flies stung, and the sun shone, and the rotting wood and damp air and lack of wind created a sticky, swamp-like miasma that seemed to weaken the muscles. No wonder they fought at the other end of the valley, Vimes thought. There was air and wind up there. At least you'd be comfortable. Sometimes they'd come out into a clear stretch that looked quite like the scene that Methodia Rascal had painted, but the nearby mountains didn't quite match up, and it was off again into the maze. You had to detour and then detour around the detour. At last, Vimes sat down on a bleached, crumbling log and put the paper aside. We must have missed it, he said, panting. Or Rascal didn't get the mountains quite right. Or maybe even a slice of mountain fell off in the last hundred years. It could have happened. We could be twenty feet away from whatever it is we're looking for and still miss it. He slapped a gnat off his wrist. Cheer up, sir. I think we're fairly close, said Cheery. Why? What makes you think that? said Vimes, wiping his brow. Because I think you may be sitting on the painting, sir. It's very dirty, but that looks like rolled up canvas to me. Vimes stood up quickly and inspected the log. One corner of what he'd taken to be yellow-grey bark peeled back to reveal paint on the other side. "'And those timbers over there?' Cheery began, but stopped, because Vimes had raised a finger to his lips. There were, indeed, some long, thin pine saplings lying nearby, stripped of all branches. They would have gone unnoticed if it wasn't for the presence of the rolled-up painting. They did just what we did, Vimes thought. It was probably easier if they had enough dwarfs to hold up the painting.' The mountains would be properly coloured, not just pencil lines, and it would be more accurate on the bigger canvas. They could take their time, too. They thought they were well ahead of me. All they were worried about was some bloody mystic symbol. He drew his sword and beckoned Cheery to follow him. There's not just dark dwarfs here, then, he thought, creeping around the nearby rocks. They wouldn't have stood out here in daylight, so let's see how many stayed on guard. None, as it turned out. It was something of an anticlimax. Beyond the rocks was the spot that X would have marked, if there had been an X. They must have been really confident, Vimes realised. By the look of it, they'd moved tons of rock and stricken timber, and there were the crowbars to prove it. Right now would be a really good time for Angua and the others to catch us up, he decided. In front of them was a hole about six feet wide. A steel bar had been laid across it, bedded into two freshly chiselled grooves, and from the bar a stout rope disappeared into the depths. From far below came the thunder of dark waters. Mr. Rascal must have been a brave man to stand here, said Vimes. I expect it was a plugged hole a hundred years ago, said Cheery. I'll tell you what, said Vimes, kicking a pebble into the dark. Pretend I'm a city man who doesn't know a bloody thing about caves, why don't you? It's what you get when a hole gets blocked, sir, said Cheery patiently. Mr. Rascal probably just had to climb down onto a plug of debris. This is the place. So... This is where he found the talking cube, Vimes thought. Ignoring Cheery's protests, because he was the commander round here, he swung down onto the rope and lowered himself a few feet. There, tucked under the lip of the hole, a stubby piece of iron was rusted into the rock. A few links of equally rusted chain hung from it. It sang in its chains. There was a note about the thing being in chains, he said. Well, there's some chain here, 
and what could be the stub of a knife. "'Dwarf steel, sir,' said Cheery reproachfully. "'It does last.' "'It could last all that time?' "'Oh, yes. I expect the sink became a fountain for a while since Rascal's Day, and forced the blockage out. That sort of thing happens all the time in Coombe-Vat-Air. Uh, what are you doing, sir?' Vimes was staring down into the darkness. Below, unseen, dark waters churned. So the messenger climbed up this hole, he thought. Where to hide the cube safely? There could be trolls up above. But a fighting dwarf would have a dagger, certainly, and they love chains. Yes, here would be a good place. And he'd be back soon, anyway. Old men climb down this, he said, staring down the rope into the dark. Old dwarfs, sir, yes. We're strong for our size. You're not going down, are you, sir? There's a side tunnel down there. There must be a side tunnel down there, said Vimes. Thunder rumbled far up in the mountains. But the others will be here soon, sir. Aren't you rushing things? Don't wait for them. No. Tell them to follow me. Look, we've lost time. I can't hang around all day. Cheery hesitated and then pulled something out of a pouch on her belt. Then at least take these, sir, she said. He grabbed the little package as it fell. It was surprisingly heavy. Waxed matches, sir. They don't get wet and the wrapping will burn like a torch for at least four minutes. There's a small loaf of dwarf bread, too. Well, thank you, said Vimes to the worried round shadow against the yellow sky. Look, I'll see if there's any light down there, and if there isn't, I'll come straight back. I'm not that daft. He let himself slide on down the rope. There was a knot every couple of feet. The air was winter cold after the heat of the valley. Fine spray came up from below. There was a tunnel well above the cauldron, he could make himself believe there was light in the distance, too. Well, he wasn't stupid. He needed to let go. His hands loosened their grip. He didn't even have time to swear before the water closed over him. Vimes opened his eyes. After a while, moving his arm slowly because of the pain, he found his face and checked that his eyelids were indeed open. What bits of his body weren't aching, he checked. No, there seemed to be none. His ribs were carrying the melody of pain, but knees, elbows, and head were all adding trills and arpeggios. Every time he shifted to ease the agony, it moved somewhere else. His head ached as if someone was hammering on his eyeballs. He groaned and coughed up water. Gritty sand was under him. He could hear the rush of water somewhere nearby, but the sand under him was merely damp, and that didn't seem right. He risked turning over, a process that extracted a considerable amount of groan. All right, he could remember the icy water. There had been no question of swimming. All he'd been able to do was roll himself into a ball as the water threw and scraped and banged him through the bagatelle board of Coombe Valley. He'd gone over an underground waterfall once, he was sure, and had managed to suck in a breath before being whisked onwards. Then there was depth and pressure, and his life started to unroll before his eyes, and his last thought had been, please, please, can we skip the bit with Mavis Trouncer? and now he was here on an invisible beach, totally out of the water. But this place surely didn't have tides. So someone was somewhere in the blackness watching him. That was it. They'd pulled him out, and now they were watching him. He opened his eyes again. Some of the pain was gone, leaving stiffness as payment. He had a feeling that time had passed. The darkness pressed in on all sides, thick as velvet. He rolled back with more groans, and this time managed to push himself onto his hands and knees. "'Who's there?' he mumbled, and very carefully got to his feet. Being upright seemed to shake his brain into gear again. "'Anyone there?' The darkness swallowed the sound. 
Anyway, what would he have done if something had said yes? He drew his sword and held it out in front of him as he shuffled forward. After a dozen steps, it clinked against rock. Matches, he mumbled. Got matches? He found the wax bundle and, working his clammy fingers slowly, drew out one match. Scraping the wax off the head with his thumb, he struck it against the stone. The glare hurt his eyes. Look, quick! Flowing water, smooth sand, hand and footprints coming out of the water, one set only, yes. Walls looked dry, small cave, darkness over there, way out. Vimes limped toward the oval entrance as quick as he could while the match spat and fizzed in his hand. There was a bigger cave here, so big that the blackness in it seemed to suck all the light from the match, which scorched his fingers and died. The heavy darkness closed in again like curtains, and now he knew what the dwarfs meant. This wasn't the darkness of a hood, or a cellar, or even of their shallow little mine. He was a long way below the ground here, and the weight of all that darkness bore down on him. Now and again a drop of water went plink into some unseen pool. Vimes staggered onwards. He knew he was bleeding. He didn't know why he was walking, but he did know that he had to. Maybe he'd find daylight. Maybe he'd find a log that had been washed in here and float his way out. He wasn't going to die, not down here in the dark a long way from home. A lot of water was dripping in this cavern. A lot of it was going down his neck right now, but there were plinks on every side. Ha! <laughs> water trickling down your neck and odd noises in the shadows. Well, that's when we find out if we've got a real copper, right? But there were no shadows here. It wasn't light enough. Perhaps that poor sod of a dwarf had wandered through here, but he found a way out. Maybe he knew the way, maybe he had a rope, maybe he was young and limber, and so he'd got out, dying on his feet, and tucked away the treasure out of the way, and then went down the valley wading through his grave. That's how it could take people. He remembered Mrs. Oldsburton, who went mad after her baby died, cleaning everything in the house, every cup, wall, ceiling and spoon, not seeing anybody or hearing anything, just working all day and all night. Something in the head went click, and you found something to do, anything, to stop yourself thinking. Best to stop thinking that the way out the dwarf had found had been the one Vimes had dropped in by, and he had no idea where that was now. Maybe he could simply jump back in the water, knowing what he was doing this time, and maybe he'd make it all the way down to the river before the turbulent currents battered him to death. Maybe he—why the hell had he let go of that rope? It had been like that little voice that whispers jump when you're at a cliff edge or touch the fire. You didn't listen, of course. At least, most people didn't, most of the time. Well, a voice had said let go, and he had. He shuffled on, aching and bleeding, while the dark curled its tail around him. He'll be back soon, you know, said Sybil, even if it's at the very last minute. Out in the hall, a big grandfather clock had just stopped chiming half-past five. I'm sure he will, said Bunty. They were bathing young Sam. He's never late, Sybil went on. He says if you're late for a good reason, you'll be late for a bad one, and it's only half-past five anyway. Plenty of time, Bunty agreed. Fred and Nobby did take the horses up to the valley, didn't they? said Sybil. Yes, Sybil, you watched them go, said Bunty. She looked over Sybil's head to the gaunt figure of her husband, who was standing in the hall doorway. He shrugged hopelessly. Only the other day he was running up the stairs as the clocks were striking six, Sybil said, calmly soaping young Sam with a sponge shaped like a teddy bear. The very last second. You wait and see. He wanted to sleep. He'd never felt this tired before. Vimes slumped to his knees and then fell sideways onto the sand. When he forced his eyes open, 
he saw pale stars above him and had once again the sensation that there was someone else present. He turned his head, wincing at the stab of pain, and saw a small but brightly lit folding chair on the sand. A robed figure was reclining in it, reading a book. A scythe was stuck in the sand beside it. A white, skeletal hand turned a page. "'You'll be death, then,' said Vimes, after a while. "'Ah, Mr. Vimes, astute as ever. Got it in one,' said Death, shutting the book on his finger to keep the place. "'I've seen you before.' I have walked with you many times, Mr. Vimes. And this is it, is it? Has it never struck you that the concept of a written narrative is somewhat strange? said Death. Vimes could tell when people were trying to avoid something they really didn't want to say, and it was happening here. Is it? he insisted. Is this it? Could be. Could be? What sort of answer is that? said Vimes. A very accurate one. You see, you are having a near-death experience, which inescapably means that I must undergo a near-vimes experience. Don't mind me. Carry on with whatever you were doing. I have a book. Vimes rolled over onto his stomach, gritted his teeth, and pushed himself onto his hands and knees again. He managed a few yards before slumping back down. He heard the sound of a chair being moved. Shouldn't you be somewhere else? he said. I am, said Death, sitting down again. But you're here. As well. Death turned the page and, for a person without breath, managed a pretty good sigh. It appears that the butler did it. Did what? It is a made-up story, very strange. All one need do is turn to the last page and the answer is there. What, therefore, is the point of deliberately not knowing? It sounded like gibberish to Vimes, so he ignored it. Some of the aches were gone, although his head still hammered, still hammered. There was an empty feeling everywhere. He just wanted to sleep. Is that clock right? I'm afraid it is, Sybil. I'll just go outside and wait for him, then. I'll have the book ready, said Lady Sybil. He won't let anything stop him, you know. I'm sure he won't, said Bunty. Although things can be very treacherous in the lower valley at this time of... Her husband began, and was fried into silence by his wife's stare. It was six minutes to six. A boggle goog soggle It was a very little watery sound, and it came from somewhere in Vimes's trousers. After a few moments, enough time to recollect that he had both hand and trousers, he reached down and, after a struggle, freed the gooseberry from his pocket. The case was battered, and the imp, when Vimes had got the flap open, was quite pale. Ob, ogle, soggle! Vimes stared at it. It was a talking box. It meant something. Woggle, soggle, ob! Slowly, Vimes tipped the box up. Water poured out of it. You weren't listening! I was shouting, and you weren't listening! the imp whined. It's five minutes to six. Read to young Sam! Vimes dropped the protesting box on his chest and stared up at the pale stars. "'Must read to young Sam,' he murmured, and shut his eyes. They snapped open again. "'Got to read to young Sam!' The stars were moving. It wasn't the sky. How could it be the sky? This was a bloody cave, wasn't it? He rolled over and got to his feet in one movement. There were more stars now, drifting along the walls. The worms were moving with a purpose. Overhead they had become a glowing river. 
Although they were flickering a little, the lights were also coming back on in Vimes's head. He peered into what was now no longer blackness but merely gloom, and gloom was like daylight after the darkness that had gone before. "'Got to read to young Sam,' he whispered, to a cavern of giant stalactites and stalagmites, all gleaming with water. "'To read to young Sam!' Stumbling and sliding through shallow pools, running across the occasional patch of white sand, Vimes followed the lights. Sybil tried not to look at the worried faces of her host and hostess as she crossed their hall. She glared at the grandfather clock. The minute hand was nearly on the twelve and trembling. She threw open the front door. There was no Sam there and no one galloping down the road. The clock struck the hour. She heard someone step quietly beside her. "'Would you like me to read to the young man, madam?' said Willikins. "'Perhaps a man's voice would—' "'No, I'll go up,' said Sybil quietly. "'You wait here for my husband.' "'He won't be long,' she added firmly. "'Yes, madam. He'll probably be quite rushed.' "'I shall usher him up without delay, madam. He will be here, you know.' "'Yes, madam. He will walk through walls.' Sybil climbed the stairs as the chimes ended. The clock was a wrong clock, of course it was. Young Sam had been installed in the old nursery of the house, a rather sombre place full of greys and browns. There was a truly frightening rocking-horse, all teeth and mad glass eyes. The boy was standing up in his cot. He was smiling, but the smile faded into puzzlement as Sybil pulled up a chair and sat down next to him. "'Daddy has asked Mummy to read to you tonight, Sam,' she announced brightly. "'Won't that be fun?' Her heart did not sink. It could not. It was already as low as any heart could go. But it curled up and whimpered as she watched the little boy stare at her, at the door, at her again— and then throw back his head and scream. Vimes, half limping and half running, tripped and fell into a shallow pool. He'd stumbled over a dwarf, a dead one, very dead. So dead, in fact, that the dripping water had built a small stalagmite on him, and with a film of milky stone had cemented him to the rock against which he sat. "'Got to read to young Sam,' Vimes told the shadowy helmet earnestly. A little way away on the sand was a dwarf's battle-axe. What was going on in Vimes's mind was not exactly coherent thought, but he could hear faint noises up ahead, and an instinct older than thought decided there was no such thing as too much cutting power. He picked it up. It was covered with no more than a thin coat of rust. There were other humps and mounds on the cavern floor, which, now that he came to look at them, might be... No time! Read! Book! At the end of the cavern, the ground sloped up, and had been made treacherous by the dripping water. It fought back, but the axe helped. One problem at a time. Climb, hill, read, book. And then the screaming started. His son, screaming. It filled his mind. They will burn. A staircase floated in his vision, reaching endlessly upwards into darkness. The screaming came from up there. Feet slithered. The axe bit into the milky stone. Weeping and cursing, sliding at every step, Vimes struggled to the top of the slope. A new, huge cave spread out below. It was busy with dwarfs. It looked like a mine. There were four of them, only a few feet away from Vimes, whose vision was full of rocking lambs. They stared at this sudden, bloody, swaying apparition, which was dreamily waving a sword in one hand and an axe in the other. They had axes too, but the thing glared at them and asked, "'Where's my—' Cow! They backed away. Is that my cow? the creature demanded, stepping forward unsteadily. 
it shook its head sadly. It goes bar, it wept. It is a sheep. Then it fell to its knees, clenched its teeth, turned its face upwards like a man tortured beyond his wits, beseeching the gods of fortune and the tempest, and screamed, No, that is not my cow! The words echoed around the cavern and broke through mere rock. So great was the force behind them, melted mere mountains, screamed across the miles. And in the sombre nursery, young Sam stopped crying and looked around, suddenly happy but puzzled, and said, to his despairing mother's surprise, Coo! The dwarfs backed away down the slope. Overhead, the verms were still pouring in, outlining the invader against their green-white glow. "'Where's my cow? Is that my cow?' it demanded, following them. In every part of the cavern, dwarfs had stopped work. There was hesitancy in the air. This was only one man after all, and the thought in many minds was, what is someone else going to do about this? It had not yet progressed to, what am I going to do about this? Besides, where was the cow? There were cows down here? It goes nay! It is a horse, that is not my cow! Dwarfs looked at one another. Where was the horse, then? Did you hear a horse? Who else is down here? The four guards had retreated to the cavern for advice and reorientation. There was a number of deep-downers there, clustered in frantic conversation and watching the approaching man. In Vimes's strobing vision there were fluffy bunnies, too, and quacky ducks. He had dropped to his knees again, and was staring at the ground and crying. Half a dozen shrouded dark guards stepped out from the group. One of them carried ahead of him a flame weapon and advanced on the figure cautiously. The flame of its little pilot light was the brightest thing in the cave. The figure looked up. The light reflected red in its eyes and growled, Is that my cow? Then it threw the axe, overarm, full at the guards. It struck the flame weapon, which exploded. It goes, Hurr! Go, said young Sam, as his mother hugged him and stared blankly at the wall. Burning oil fountained across the dark. Some of it splashed on Vimes's arm. He slapped at it. There was pain, intense pain, but he knew this only in the same way that he knew the moon existed. It was there, but it was a long way off, and it didn't affect him very much. That's not my cow, he said, standing up. He strode on now, over the burning oil, through red-edged smoke, past the dwarfs rolling desperately on the ground to put out the flames. He seemed to be looking for something. Two more guards ran at him. Without appearing to notice them, Vimes crouched and whirled the sword around in a circle. A little lamb rocked in front of his eyes. A dwarf with greater presence of mind than the others had found a crossbow, and was taking aim when he had to stop to brush away the bats streaming past him. He raised the bow again, looked around at a noise like two slabs of meat being slapped together, and was picked up and thrown across the cave by a naked young woman. An astonished miner swung his axe at the smiling girl, who vanished in a cloud of bats. There was a lot of yelling going on. Vimes paid it no attention. Dwarfs were running through the smoke. He merely slapped them aside. He had found what he was seeking. Is that my cow? It goes moo! Picking up another fallen axe, Vimes started to run. Yes! That's my cow! The grags were behind a ring of guards in a frantic huddle, but Vimes's eyes were on fire, and there were flames streaming from his helmet. A dwarf holding a flamethrower threw it down and fled. Hooray, hooray, it's a wonderful day, for I have found my cow! 
And perhaps that, it was said later, was what did it. Against the berserker there is no defence. They had sworn to fight to the death, but not to this death. The slowest four guards went down to the axe and the sword, the others scattered and ran. And now Vimes paused in front of the cowering old dwarfs, raising the weapons over his head, and halted, rocking like a statue. Night forever, but within it a city, shadowy and only real in certain ways. The entity cowered in its alley where the mist was rising. This could not have happened. Yet it had. The streets had filled with things, animals, birds, changing shape, screaming and yelling. And above it all, higher than the rooftops, a lamb rocking back and forth in great slow motions, thundering over the cobbles. And then bars had come down, slamming down, and the entity had been thrown back. But it had been so close. It had saved the creature. It was getting through. It was beginning to have control. And now this! In the darkness of the inner city, above the rustle of the never-ending rain, it heard the sound of boots approaching. A shape appeared in the mist. It drew nearer. Water cascaded off a metal helmet and an oiled leather cloak as the figure stopped, and entirely unconcerned, cupped its hand in front of its face and lit a cigar. Then the match was dropped on the cobbles, where it hissed out, and the figure said, "'What are you?' The entity stirred like an old fish in a deep pool. It was too tired to flee. "'I am the summoning dark!' It was not, in fact, a sound, but had it been, it would have been a hiss. "'Who are you?' "'I am the watchman. They would have killed his family!' The darkness lunged and met resistance. "'Think of the deaths they have caused!' Who are you to stop me? He created me. Quis custodiet ipsos custodes. Who watches the watchman? Me. I watch him, always. You will not force him to murder for you. What kind of human creates his own policeman? One who fears the dark. And so he should, said the entity, with satisfaction. Indeed. But I think you misunderstand. I am not here to keep darkness out. I'm here to keep it in. There was a clink of metal as the shadowy watchman lifted a dark lantern and opened its little door. Orange light cut through the blackness. Call me the guarding dark. Imagine how strong I must be. The summoning dark backed desperately into the alley, but the light followed it, burning it. And now, said the watchman, get out of town. And went down as a werewolf landed on his back. Angua drooled. The hair along her spine stood out like a saw blade. Her lips curled back like a wave. Her growl was from the back of a haunted cave. Altogether, these told the brain of anything monkey-shaped that movement meant death. And that stillness, while it also meant death, didn't mean immediate this actual second death, and was, therefore, the smart monkey option. Vimes didn't move. The growl knotted his muscles. Terror was in control. I salute you, said a thought that was not his, and he felt the sudden absence of something whose presence he had not noticed before. In the blackness behind his eyes, some dark fin swished and vanished. He heard a whimper, and the weight on him disappeared. He rolled over and saw, fading in the middle of the air, a crude drawing of an eye with a tail. It dwindled into nothing, 
and the all-enveloping darkness slowly gave way to the light of the worms. Blood had been spilled. They were pouring down the walls. He felt... A certain amount of time passed. Vimes jerked awake. I read it for him, he said, mostly to reassure himself. You did, sir, said the voice of Angua behind him. Very clearly, too. We were more than two hundred yards away. Well done, sir. We thought you ought to have a rest. What have I done well? said Vimes, sitting up. The movement filled his world with pain, but he managed a brief glimpse before slumping back. There was a lot of smoke in the cave, but there were actual torches flickering here and there, and a great many dwarfs, some distance away, some sitting down, some standing around in groups. "'Why are there so many dwarfs here, Sergeant?' he asked, looking up at the cavern roof. "'That is, why are there so many dwarfs here that aren't actually trying to kill us?' "'They're from the Low King, sir. We're their prisoners, sort of. Er—' but not exactly. Of Reese? Bugger that, said Vimes, trying to get to his feet again. I saved his bloody life once. He managed to get upright, but then the world pivoted around him, and he would have fallen if Angua hadn't caught him and lowered him onto a rock. Well, at least he was sitting up now. Not exactly prisoners, Angua said. We can't go anywhere, but since we wouldn't know where to go, even if we could go anywhere, it's all a bit moot. Sorry I'm only in a shift, sir. You know how it is. The dwarfs have promised to fetch my gear. Um, it's all gone political, sir. The dwarf in command seems a decent sort, but he's way out of his depth, so he's sticking to what he knows, sir. And, uh, he doesn't know a lot. Do you remember anything about what happened? You've been out for a good twenty minutes. Yes, there were... woolly lambs? Vimes's voice trailed into silence for a while. Somehow what he'd just said took the ring of veracity and dropped it in a deep, deep hole. There weren't woolly lambs, right? he asked hopelessly. I didn't see any, said Angua carefully. I did see a striding, screaming, vengeful maniac, sir, but in a good way, she added. The internal Vimes looked at memories he didn't remember from the first time around. I, he began. Everything's sort of fine, sir, said Angua quickly. But come and see this. Bashfulson said you ought to see everything. Bashfulson, he's a know-it-all dwarf, right? he said. Ah, it's all coming back, sir, said Angua. Good. He was a bit worried about that. Vimes was steadier on his feet now, but his right arm hurt like hell, and all the other pains that the day had accumulated were coming back and waving. Angua carefully led him through puddles and across rocks as slippery as wet marble until he reached a stalagmite. It was about eight feet high. It was a troll. It wasn't a rock shaped like a troll. It was a troll. They only got stonier when they died, Vimes knew, but the lines of this one had been softened by the milky rock dripped on the troll's head. But now look at this, sir, said Angua, leading him on. They were destroying them. There was another stalagmite, lying on its side in a pool. It had been smashed off at the base, and it was a dwarf. Dwarfs crumble after death, just like humans, but all the armour, mail, chains and heavy leather mean there's no great change to the eye of the casual observer. The flowing rock had covered it all like a glistening shroud. Vimes straightened up and looked across the cavern. Shapes loomed in the gloom all the way to the near wall, where the drip of ages had formed a perfect ivory waterfall frozen in time. There are more? About twenty, sir. Half of them have been smashed before you arrived. Look at this one over here, sir. You can just make them out. They're sitting back to back, sir. Vimes stared at the figures under the glaze and shook his head a dwarf and a troll together cemented in rock. "'Is there anything to eat?' he said. 
It wasn't the most awe-inspired thing to say, but it came from the stomach with feeling. "'Our rations got lost in the excitement, sir, but the dwarfs will share theirs. They aren't unfriendly, sir, just cautious. Share? They have dwarf bread?' "'I'm afraid so, sir. I thought it was illegal to give that to prisoners. I think I'll wait, thanks. And now, Sergeant, you can tell me about the excitement.' It hadn't exactly been an ambush. The dwarfs just caught up with them. Their captain had been given rather wide orders to follow Vimes and his party, and there had been a certain chilliness when he found that the party included two trolls. This was still Coombe Valley, after all. Vimes felt a pang of sympathy for him. He'd had a simple job to do, and suddenly it was full of politics. Been there, done that, bought the singlet, thought Vimes. Fortunately, Greg Bashfulson had a way with words. Since they were all going the same way... And it had been a long way. The fleeing dwarfs had brought down the ceiling not far from the entrance tunnel, and a journey that had taken Vimes a few minutes had taken the pursuers the best part of a day, even with Sally scouting ahead. Angua spoke of caves even bigger than this, of vast waterfalls in the dark. Vimes said yes, he knew. Then the words of Where's My Cow had boomed under Coombe Valley, shaking the rock of ages and making the stalactites hum in sympathy, and the rest had been a matter of running. I can remember... "'Reading to young Sam,' said Vimes slowly. "'But there were these strange pictures in my head,' he stopped. "'All that anger, all that red-hot rage, "'had flowed out of him in a torrent without thought. "'I killed those damn soldiers.' "'Most of them, sir,' said Angua cheerfully. "'And there's a couple of miners who got in the way who'll be aching for months.' "'It was all coming back to Vimes now. "'He wished it wasn't. "'There was always a part of the human brains "'that objected to fighting dwarfs.' They were child-sized. Oh, they were also at least as strong as a human, and more resilient, and would take any advantage in a fight, and if you were lucky, you learned to overcome that prejudice before you were hacked off at the knees. But it was always there. I remember those old dwarfs, he said. They were cowering like little maggots. I wanted to smash them. You resisted for almost four seconds, sir, and then I brought you down, said Angua. And that was a good thing, was it? said Vimes. "'Oh, yes, it's why you're still here, Commander,' said Bashfulson, appearing from behind a stalagmite. "'I'm glad to see you up and about again. This is a historic day, and you still have a soul, it appears. Isn't that nice?' "'Now, you listen to me,' Vimes began. "'No, you listen to me, Commander. Yes, I knew you'd come to Coombe Valley, because the summoning dark would come here. It needed you to bring it. No, listen to me, because we don't have much time.' The summoning dark symbol commands an entity as old as the universe. But it has no real body and very little physical strength. It can cover a million dimensions in the blink of an eye, but could barely make it across a room. It works through living creatures, especially ones it finds amenable. It found you, Commander, a cauldron of anger, and in small, subtle ways it saw to it that you got to this place. I believe him, sir, said Angua quickly. It was the one called up as a curse by one of the miners, remember? The one who drew the sign on his own blood, on a locked door. And you... There was a door that stung when I touched it, I remember, said Vimes. Are you telling me that behind that door he... Oh, no. He was already dead by then, sir. I'm positive about that, said Angua quickly. We couldn't have saved him. Helmclever said... Vimes began, and Bashfulson must have seen the panic rising in his eyes, because he grabbed both his hands and spoke, fast and urgently. No, you didn't kill him. You didn't even touch him. You were afraid that if you did, I'd say you'd use force, remember? He dropped dead. 
"'How much force is that?' Vimes shouted. His voice echoed, and heads turned all across the cavern. "'There was a symbol, wasn't there?' "'It's true that the creature tends to leave a, a signature on events, but you would have had to touch him. You did not. You did not raise a hand. I think you would have resisted even then, resisted and won. Do you hear me? Calm down. Calm down. He died of fear and guilt. You must realize that. What reason did he have to feel guilty? Every reason for a dwarf. That mine bore down so heavily on him.' The grag turned to anger. "'Sergeant, could you get the commander some water? "'It's as pure in these pools as anywhere in the world. "'Well, it is if you pick one without a body floating in it.' "'You know, you could have avoided that last sentence,' said Vimes. "'He sat down on a rock. "'He could feel himself shaking now. "'And then I got the damn thing here,' he managed. "'Yes, commander. "'And it got you here, too, I suspect. "'Cheery says she saw you drop into churning water "'half a mile from where we are now. "'Even a champion swimmer wouldn't have survived that.' I woke up on a beach. It got you there. It swam your body for you. But I was all knocked about. Oh, it wasn't your friend, Commander. It needed to get you here in one piece. It didn't have to be a good-looking piece. And then you disappointed it, Commander. You disappointed it. Or perhaps impressed it. It's hard to tell. You wouldn't strike the helpless, you see. You resisted. I had the sergeant here bring you down because I was frightened that the struggle inside would rip your tendons from your bones. They were just frightened old men. And so it appears to have let you go, said the dwarf. I wonder why. Historically, anyone subject to the summoning dark dies insane. Vimes reached up and took a mug of water from Angua. It was teeth-aching cold and the best drink he'd ever tasted and his mind worked fast, flying in emergency supplies of common sense, as human minds do, to construct a huge anchor insanity and prove that what happened hadn't really happened, and if it had happened, hadn't happened much. It was all mystic, that's what it was. Oh, it might all be true, but how could you ever tell? You had to stick to the things you can see, and you had to keep reminding yourself of that too. Yeah, that was it. What had really happened, eh? A few signs? Well, anything can look like you want it to if you're worried and confused enough, yes? A sheep can look like a cow, right? <laughs> As for the rest, well, Bashfulson seemed a decent lad, but you didn't have to buy into his world view. Same with Mr. Shine. That sort of thing could spook you. He'd been wound up about young Sam, and when he'd seen those devil guards, of course he'd gone for them. He hadn't been getting much sleep lately. It seemed like every hour brought some new problem. The mind played funny tricks. Surviving the underground river? Easy. He must have kept himself afloat. There were a lot of things the body would rather do than die. There. Some logical thought, and the mystic becomes, well, straightforward. You can stop feeling like some puppet and become a man with a purpose once again. He put down the empty mug and stood up, purposefully. I'm going to see how my men are, he announced. I'll come with you, said Bashfulson quickly. "'I think I need no assistance,' lied Vimes, as coolly as he could. "'I'm sure you do not,' said the dwarf. "'But Captain Good is a little nervous.' "'He'll be a lot nervous if I don't like what I see,' said Vimes. "'Yes, that's why I'm coming with you,' said Bashfulson. Vimes set off across the cavern a little faster than he felt comfortable. The grag kept up by skipping at every other step. "'Don't think you know me, Mr. Bashfulson,' he growled. "'Don't think I took pity on those bastards. "'Don't think I was merciful.' You just don't kill the helpless. You just don't. The dark guards seem to have no trouble with the prospect, said Bashfulson. 
"'Exactly,' said Vimes. "'By the way, Mr. Bashfulson, what kind of dwarf doesn't carry an axe?' "'Well, as a grag, my first resort, of course, is to my voice,' said the grag. "'The axe is nothing without the hand, and the hand is nothing without the mind. I've trained myself to think about axes.' "'Sounds mystical to me,' said Vimes. "'I suppose it would,' said Bashfulson. "'Ah, here we are.' Here was the area that the newly arrived dwarfs had occupied. Very military, Vimes thought. A defensive square. You're not sure who your enemies are. And neither am I. The nearest dwarf regarded him with that slightly defiant, slightly uneasy look he'd come to recognise. Captain Good straightened up. Vimes looked over the dwarf's shoulder, which was not hard to do. There were Nobby and Fred Colon, and both of the trolls, and even Cheery, all sitting in a huddle. Are my men under arrest, Captain? he said. My orders are to detain everyone found here, said the captain. Vimes admired the flatness of the response. It meant, I am not interested in a dialogue at this time. What is your authority here, captain? he said. My authority comes threefold. The low king, mining law, and sixty armed dwarfs, said Good. Bugger, thought Vimes. I forgot about mining law. This is a problem I think I need to delegate. A good commander learns to delegate. Therefore, I will delegate this problem to Captain Good. That was a good answer, Captain, he said, and I respect it. In one movement, he pushed past and headed for the watchman. He stopped dead when he heard the sound of drawn metal behind him, raised his hands and said, Grag Bashfulson, will you explain matters to the Captain? I have stepped into his custody, not out of it, and this is not the time or place for rash action. He walked on without waiting for a reply. Admittedly, banking on the fact that someone would get into trouble if they killed you would probably come under the heading of rash action, but he'd just have to live with that. Or, of course, not. He hunkered down by Nobby and Colon. "'Sorry about this, Mr. Vames,' said Fred. "'We were waiting on the path with some horses, and they just turned up. We showed them our badges, but they just did not want to know. Understood. And you, Cherry?' "'I thought it'd be best to stay together, sir,' said Cherry earnestly. "'Right. And you to Vimes looked down and felt the bile rise. Brick and Detritus both had chains on their legs. "'You let them shackle you,' he said. "'Well, it seemed to be getting all pole-itical, Mr. Vimes,' said Detritus. "'But say the word, and me and Brick can have them off no trouble. They're only field chains. My granny could have bust out of them.' Vimes felt the anger rising, but put a lid on it. Right now, Detritus was being rather more sensible than his boss. Don't do that, not until I say so, he said. Where are the grags? They're guarding them in another cave, sir, said Cheery. And the miners. Sir, they said the low king is on his way. Good job it's a big cave, otherwise it'd be getting crowded, said Vimes. He walked back to the captain and bent down. You chained up my sergeant, he said. He's a troll. This is Coombe Valley, said the captain flatly. Except even I could bust out of chain that thin, said Vimes. He glanced up. Sally and Angua had regained their amour propre in their proper armour and were watching Vimes carefully. "'Those two officers are a vampire and a werewolf,' he said, still in the same level voice. "'I know you know this, and you very wisely didn't try to lay a finger on them, and Bashfulson's a grag. But you put my sergeant in weak chains that he could snap with a finger so you could kill him and say he was trying to escape. Don't even think about denying it.' I know a dirty trick when I see one. Shall I tell you what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to give you a chance to show brotherly love and let the trolls out right now. And the others. Otherwise, unless you kill me, I'll poison your future career to the very best of my ability, and you don't dare kill me. The captain eyeballed him, but it was a game Vimes had mastered a long time ago. Then the dwarf's gaze fell on Vimes's arm, 